Well, you may be seated, and uh, kids in the first through fifth grade, you are released to go to your classes. They're like ready, fired up to go, because they do some fun stuff down there. Um, uh, right now, we've got a gift for you. So before we stand for the reading of God's word, uh, we have some awesome ushers this morning. I love it when the teens uh, serve. Uh, so I'm grateful that they are an integral part of our faith family. But they are giving you a gift. It is a scripture journal. So uh, Crossway Books that publishes the ESV Bible that uh, I preach from has made these scripture journals, one for every book of the Bible. And we're starting the book of Ephesians today. Uh, and we're going to be going through that book over the next season of time for our church. And a generous individual who attends our church said, uh, discovered these and said, hey, uh, can I buy these for folks in our church? So this is a gift to you from an anonymous individual. So thank Jesus. So it's the entirety of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians uh, with space to, uh, to take notes in. Uh, you can certainly write it up, uh, take notes, uh, take it back home with you, take it to small group with you, interact with God's word, devour it, hide it in your heart. So I hope that this gift is a blessing to you uh, that you can use each week in your devotions and as we come together. So now that you have uh, the book of Ephesians, you could actually just open right up to chapter one. And uh, why don't we stand and Dwayne's going to read a first couple verses for us. Our scripture reading this morning is Ephesians chapter one, verses one and two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. Only two verses. This will be over quick, right? You can... We can come to letters in Scripture and read the first couple of verses and be like, yeah, they're just kind of saying hello, a greeting, and then we just kind of rush on to the good stuff, right? We want to get to the stuff, get past the greeting. But all of God's Word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And as the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians. He actually shares uh, the foundation for where he's going in the letter. There's significant truth in these first two verses. And this book, as he's writing it, he is writing about the mystery of Christ. The mystery of God's dealings with men God's dealings with women, God's dealings with his people, and the church. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. It's written to the church. This letter wasn't just written to the book of Ephesians. It was circulated around the region in which Ephesus was in what is now modern-day Turkey. So when we open this book and we see to... The Ephesians, we could easily insert any local church. We could insert Harvest Lakeshore. Now, we're not rewriting scripture. It says to the church, Ephesus. But this, this letter was really written to all the churches. 
and it has significant truth in it. The, the book is broken up into two sections, one to three and four to six. Uh, chapters one to three speak about our position before God, who we are in Christ. So in the first three chapters, we're going to dive deep into the mysteries of the gospel and understand the richness of our position. Because of Christ, we are right with God. We celebrated that this past weekend, last weekend. Uh, Yeah, all the balloons did fall. Thankfully, the teens picked them all up, but we are going to continue to celebrate that every time we gather together. So that's in the first three chapters. And then in the second three chapters, this last half of the book is the practice of our faith, how we live out being in Christ. And it's easy for those of us who are doers to be like, yeah, like that, that first stuff is good stuff, but I need to get to, what is it that I need to do? What do I need to do? And we must not separate what we do from what he has done. We must start with what Christ has done. As Paul starts with what Christ has done for three whole chapters. And so when we get to the second half of the book, you will see how natural it is to do the things that God calls us to do, whether that's in the context of our relationships with one another, being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. That will be natural as we understand the depths of the gospel. Be natural to understand what do the relationship between husband and wife and what does that dynamic look like? We can go to that and start there first, but no, if we start with the depths of the gospel, well, then it's natural that a husband would lay his life down as Christ laid down his life for the church. It would be natural for children to think about obeying their parents because they see what Christ has done and they understand God's authority in their life and God's good authority of their parents. And there's so many things, and I don't want to jump into the second half of the book. We'll get there in a number of months. We're going to start with chapter 1. Verse 1, where Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. He's not just addressing a, a greeting. He's making a statement here. He's making a statement because when we come to Paul, it's not just a guy. There's a history behind who Paul is. His name wasn't always Paul. His name was Saul. And if you go back to the book of Acts, and that'd be a great Sunday afternoon exercise for families to gather around God's word. And let's, let's look, what does the Bible have to say about Ephesus in the book of Acts? Because some crazy things happened there. But there's crazy things that happened with this guy, Saul, who was Pharisee of Pharisees. He would have been someone who likely had memorized the entire Old Testament, and he was proud about it. And he had such authority and that he could, you know, oversee things and have influence on people, and he had a hatred for the church. Such a hatred, the Bible tells us in Acts, that he oversaw, he, he gave approval for the stoning of Stephen. Gave, a, gave approval for the stoning of believers. That's the kind of guy 
that Paul, that, that Saul was. And then when you come to Acts 9, there's this radical thing that happened. He gets blinded. And Jesus speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting my church? And he's blind for three days and God calls someone to come pray for him and the scales fall off his eyes and he's radically transformed. He was such a hater of the church when he came to know Christ, the believers weren't sure about him. I mean, you may have prayed for someone who's like grumpy and they come to know Jesus and you rejoice over that. Well, the believers weren't sure. This is what it says, that their interaction with him in Acts 9, 26. It says, when he had come to Jerusalem, talking about Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. Well, that makes sense. He gets saved. Of course, let's welcome him in. But it says, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. That's how wicked he was. So as Paul starts the letter and says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, it's a radical statement because it's a testimony not about Paul, but about God and what God can do and what God does by the power of the gospel. Because God called Paul and we are called called for a purpose. Now, certainly Paul had a unique calling. He was called to be an apostle. Apostle means messenger. Now, we are called to be messengers of the gospel. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission, to share Christ and to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we are called to do that. We aren't called in the, in the same way. No one here is called to write scripture, okay? We're not called to do that. But Paul had a unique place where he was leading in the church and he was leading the charge and sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. But even though as he was doing that, we can be stirred because we are of the Gentiles. We are of those who are not the Jewish people that the gospel has come to and God has placed us in the location in which we live to share Christ with the Gentiles, to share Christ with those who don't know him. So Paul certainly had a unique place, particular messenger, like the, the 12, Barnabas, Apollos. Well, he's a special envoy of Christ to lead the church. And so there is authority that comes because God called him to that. But as we look at Paul saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, when you just read a text like that, you don't get the feeling of emotion. Right? Just like how people completely misunderstand texts and emails. Right? You've experienced this, right? You, you send an email and someone's like, oh, why'd you say it like that? You're like, I said like five words. Like what just happened? And there's something different that happens when you say it in person, right? So we don't get that feeling because Paul's not here to say these words, but let's understand when Paul even uses his name because God changed it from Saul to Paul, Paul means small or humble. So every time he says his name, it's not like, it's testimony to his understanding that when he boasts, it's not boasting in his position, 
He's boasting in Christ just by saying his name because it's a testimony of what God had done by the will of God. And then his smallness became the vehicle of God doing powerful things because he humbled himself before God and he was willing to obey all that God called him to. God used his weakness to be a channel for his power. So even as you come to read this first line, there's application for us. Because we can go, Paul did all these crazy things. I'm not Paul. Well, Paul would say, it ain't about me. It's about God. And you can trust in this big, amazing God who transformed my life. And I know there's testimonies seated here this morning of God's amazing transformation. There were lives that were lived for self before coming to Christ. And there has been transformation. And there's fruit of God's spirit in your life. And God can use you because he's chosen you for a purpose. Each person here has been given gifts to build up the body. Each person here has a testimony of God's grace in their life that can be shared with those who don't know Christ. Kent Hughes said, in Christ, every one of us has been delivered from self and has been given a position and a purpose and an authority in him. The authority is not in your abilities. It comes in the message that we share. The power is in the message, not in the messenger. And we're going to learn the depths of that message as we plumb the truths that are found in God's word. So God's chosen, Paul, God's chosen us. And we are chosen to be set apart. Because Paul goes on in the verse and he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. To the saints, as soon as you read the word saints, you might immediately go to things that Paul is not talking about. Maybe you have a background uh, because you grew up Catholic. I have lots of family that are in the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, that saints means different things. I want to just clarify what saints does not mean in Scripture, what they're not referring to. They're not referring to... Uh, individuals who just have some unique, special godliness that other people can't have. Oh, they're a saint. They're someone that's not like me. That's not what Paul is referring to. Paul's not referring to someone who has been deemed by the Pope to be a saint. Okay? That, that happens. The, the Pope says this person who's done this amazing thing, oftentimes maybe they've They've died in, in the work of the church or they've done some great thing. And so the Pope says, well, this person is a saint. They may be a saint in the sense that they may be someone who at some point in time has trusted in Jesus and walked with Jesus. They might be a saint, but it's not just those people who are saints. And we don't pray to saints. Why don't we pray to saints? Because saints can't do anything for us. Saints are the church. Everyone who's trusted in Christ, we'll talk about the, the set apart ones. The only person who is alive and powerful to do things is God the Father. 
and his son, the Lord Jesus, who's interceding for us. And that's why we pray to him. And because of what Jesus has done, we can go to him at any time, at any point in the day. Uh, You can do that with your mouth open and when your mouth closed. And that's the privilege that we have, that we can come boldly before the throne. So we understand what saints are not, but what are saints? When Paul says, to the saints, he's saying, holy ones, those who are set apart and consecrated, we are set apart. Not to go create a community somewhere that no one can get in. It's just not, it's not like us four and no more. Like we're going to be set apart There's a little village and that's where the people of Harvest Lake Shore live and that's where they grow their things and eat their food and no one goes in or out. No, that's not what the set-apartness means. No, this is speaking of like the flavor of the people of Israel. When you think back to the Old Testament, God set those people apart. They weren't the biggest people in the world. They weren't the biggest nation on the planet. They didn't have something special or unique about them. But God called them. And this is what he said about them in Exodus 19. My kingdom of priests, my holy nation. That's what he said about them. And the church, big C church, not just Harvest Lakeshore, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved is part of the church. And the church is the new covenant community. And God has called us to be holy, to be set apart. We are called to exemplify God's character to the world, his holiness. And as we pursue him, our desire is to become in practice what we are in position. It's not that everyone here has become perfect. We We're pretty confident of that. But because of what Christ has done, we have a position. We we are called out. And the sanctification process, the process of growing in godliness, doesn't earn us that position. We don't open our Bibles each day and read God's word and want to get it in our hearts and pray and we don't come up here and sing so that we can at some point attain a position before God. If I do enough things before, you know, uh, here in this world, then maybe I can have a position before God. God will love me. No, that's backwards. Because of what Christ has done, we have position. And we're going to learn about that position in the first three chapters of this book. Because of that position, we we pursue God. We seek to see his kingdom come and his will be done in our lives. And as we grow, we are conforming to that position that already exists. So you are in Christ. It's so important for us, church, to know who we are in Christ. Because then our faith, rather than being a drudgery, we're just kind of, we've just got to do all these things. We've got to do the right way. No, like there's this wonder that comes when we understand God's activity, his pursuit of us and how he knew us in in a rebellion and he came after us. And we're going to jump into all that and we won't jump into all of the text. But we are set apart. 
The word describes the, the openness of our hearts. God called us to look different. But he called us to look different in a particular context. Because if you look back at your Bibles, it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. So why is Ephesus important? What's significant about Ephesus? Here's a few facts about Ephesus. It's in modern-day western Turkey. That's the location of it. It was a busy port city. It was probably the fourth or fifth largest city in the known world at the time. So big city at the time. Uh, it had a massive amphitheater that held like 25,000 people. They held sporting events, kind of like the Olympics. So it was a place that people came to. It uh, was at the junction of four major roads in Asia Minor. So there were villages around it. There were suburbs. Before suburbs were suburbs. There were towns around it. That's what Ephesus was. And it was a gateway to Asia, from Europe to Asia, back and forth. Like that was the kind of region that it was in. And though uh, Rome, you know, used this area for their gateway, it became a gateway for the gospel. So the gospel could get to the world. And Ephesus was a place of significant spiritual opposition. You can read in the book of Acts. We were praying through uh, Acts this morning in the prayer meeting. So we want to look about a little bit of the history in the book of Acts of what happened in Ephesus and some crazy things happened there. But you'll learn that people were given to, to demonic arts, to magic and idolatry. They were known for all kinds of paganism. That was what Ephesus was known for. Might sound familiar in the places that we live. Some, some of their paganism was sophisticated. Some said, well, I can, I can experience a higher level of enjoyment and spirituality by asceticism, like setting myself apart, not denying myself certain things, and then I can be more special. Or on the flip side, I can give myself to sexual pleasures, and that will give me, uh, you know, fulfill me, and I can have a higher uh, value. Have you heard that before? Have you experienced seeing that in the places that you visited or the place that you live? Some were more sleazy. <laughs> One commentator notes, he said, there's a sign carved in stone that remains today on the streets coming from the ancient dock. The sign used to direct sailors to brothels. They literally get off the ship. They knew where to go to satisfy their fleshly desires. That's the kind of place. Culture steeped in materialism, in sensuality, in perverted idolatrous practices. So when we come to God's word, our temptation is going to be like, yeah, yeah, those places were long ago. How do I relate to this? Well, when you understand where these believers were living and the age in which they lived, it was like today. 
And in our day, it's getting increasingly so. You know, you just have to look at any news media outlet to see the things that are being celebrated. We are more like Ephesus than ever before in the culture in which we live. So let's be sobered by that. As Paul shares these truths, as he shared these truths with the Ephesians, he's sharing them with us. So the struggles that you have, how do I deal with these things? How am I going to navigate these things? There's a reason that Paul addressed the whole armor of God in chapter 6 when we get there. Because there are spiritual battles at place and there are spiritual battles that you and I are going to have to engage in to navigate the waters of everyday life and to accomplish God's mission for us. So this is going to speak to us. It was such a hard place. This is how Paul described uh, Ephesians when he wrote to the Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians 15.32, it says, he faced wild beasts in Ephesus. That, that sounds like a challenge to me. Wild beasts. Now it could be figurative in nature, and even if it was figurative in nature, if it wasn't actual like lions and tigers and bears, right? If you read in the book of Acts, there's some crazy things that happen. There's this ruckus that happens where people are screaming and they're angry for like two hours straight. So it's a hard place. And the place that we're in is a hard place and the church isn't faring well. The Family Research Council put out some data recently that shows an uptick in attacks on churches when compared to recent years. I'm just trying to say, like, there's reality for us here. The things that we read about in Acts happening in Ephesus are, are starting to happen for us. Churches were targeted 420 times since 2018. Now in the first three months of 2023, 69 acts of hostility have been recorded, which equals 53 acts of vandalism, uh, 10 acts of arson, three gun-related incidents, and three bomb threats. Now, I'm not sharing that for us to cower in fear. Because when, when hard comes along for the church, that doesn't mean we've moved out of God's will. When hard comes to the church because we are holding fast to the word of truth, that we're holding up God's word and wanting to live under it and teach it and proclaim the name of Jesus. That's to be expected for us. And we want to study God's word so that we are resilient and resolved and faithful in God. That's why we're, we're doing this. But even as we consider that reality, opportunities for the gospel and opposition often go hand in hand. So as opposition comes, doors open for the gospel. Paul even said this about Ephesus in 1 Corinthians 16. He said, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened for me and there are many adversaries. Wide door, many adversaries. Well, maybe we should 
Say, God, use us. If, if that's what it takes for a wide door for the gospel, would we give our lives for the sake of the gospel? May our hearts be prepared. May we be deeply saturated in the truths of the gospel as we will learn in this book. May we be displaying that in our relationships, in our lives, to see those who desperately need to know Jesus come to know Jesus. May God, would you open doors for the gospel for us? So I want to ask you, church, what are the hard things that God's calling us to do? Not just you individual, maybe us as a church. What are the hard things that he's calling us to do? Paul in this context is preaching in both like a church context, the synagogue, and in the public square, the context where he's teaching, where they had places where people would come to learn and he's interacting you too have that opportunity. I have that opportunity. You're like, I've never preached a message. You don't have to preach a message. Simply have to dialogue about what Christ has done in your life. You can take your Bible and at lunchtime at your work, have a Bible study with someone. You're like, I, I don't know a lot about the Bible. Well, you, you can read I know you can read the Bible. You could read with them. And when you come across something you don't know, this is what you just need to be comfortable with, okay? I've grown comfortable because you're going to come across and go, what's going to happen if they ask me a question I don't know? Just say, that's a great question. I don't know. As if we say, if we say we don't know, people are going to all of a sudden think that we're not Christians because we don't know. Actually, they might be affected that you're humble enough to acknowledge that you don't know everything. Because oftentimes the, the, the outside world looks at the church like they do know everything, that they're judgmental jerks. And by you just going, yeah, I don't know. Hey, let me get back to you. But that's a great question. I'm, I'll, I'll look into that. So let's not let the fact that we might not know things hinder us from maybe reading the scriptures. If you're a student you can do this at lunchtime at your school or maybe it with someone on your sports team that you play with or those in your neighborhood. And may God uh, help us to uh, help, help us as elders in the church, help leaders in the church to better equip us to be sharing the gospel with others as Paul shared the gospel. But we are going to share the gospel both in word and in deed because we're called to be set apart. And we're going to learn about that set-apartness as we get into the second half of the book. But we must dig deep into the, the, the gospel because these saints were faithful. Look back at your Bible. So it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. When it says faithful, it doesn't just mean they were trustworthy. Yeah, they could get the job done. No, it means their, their eyes lit up at the gospel because they believed God to be who he says he was. They had an, an encounter with Christ and they were different. They were actively trusting in God. They understood the intimacy of John 15. That song we sang at the end of our time of singing about abiding, just open your Bibles to John 15 and all, all that's right in there. Take that home, sing that song again. 
have that remind you of the intimacy. And if you go there and go, I'm not like this. Well, then just pray. Say, Lord, I want to. That's why when we sing the song, I love it. It's like, teach me to abide. It's not, I got it all figured out, Lord. It's no, I need you. I need you. I need him. I, I am weak and frail and I seem to get things wrong all the time. I seem to have a gift to fall in holes. Do you ever feel that way? God, teach me to abide. So when it talks about them being faithful, they were actively trusting. They were believing in the promises. They were true believers, not that they had become perfect, but they were set apart because they had trusted in Christ and their lives were transformed. Our lives need to be transformed. You either are a Christian or you're not a Christian. There's not some middle road. In preparation for singing, I had a conversation with Lonnie about, you know, what we were going to be teaching about, and I was telling her about some of the things that were in the text, and then I was learning, and she just shared a phrase with me from an author by the name of Jackie Hill Perry, and I can't get it out of my head. She said, you are either saints or ain'ts. You're either saints or ain'ts. And as much as we laugh about that, because it is funny, because it sounds funny. You're just like, oh, saints are ain'ts. Like we can, but you either found in Christ and you are flourishing or you're living your life for yourself and you're found outside of the family of God. There is not some middle road where we have like one toe in here and a little bit over here. The call to follow Christ is to take up your cross and follow him. And it's our prayer as leaders that, that as you follow Christ, that you would dive deep in your relationship with him. My prayer is that if we, if we find ourselves messing with the world, that we would be like some of the, the Christians that were found in Ephesus who there were, there were those that gave themselves to the magic arts. You can read it in there in the book of Acts and they uh, brought all of their books. They got saved. They brought all of their magical books rather than selling them on eBay to get a little extra money. They were like, no, no one should have these. And they gathered them up and they burned them. And I think the number is like 25,000 pieces of silver. That was the value of all of them not to be enamored by the massiveness of it. Let's just be enamored by the reality. These saints were like, no, I don't want to be distracted by anything. I want Christ to be my pursuit. And so Paul is saying, he's addressing those who are faithful. And I have the privilege of pastoring a people who are faithful. Just thinking about Last week, Holy Week, thinking about what it took to set up and spend time in powerful prayer two Sundays ago and then gather here with chairs and the worship team and, and think about what Christ did on the cross and then to have just a blowout celebration that the, the roof almost popped off when you let the balloons go off and all the celebration. Why did all that happen? Because of the saints because so many people served. So many people have come to me and said, oh, this was really cool. And I was like, wasn't my idea because we have great folks in our church. I didn't do that. You should encourage them. 
I am so grateful. I love you. I love that you are faithful in Christ Jesus. I love that there is a sparkle in your eye when you tell me the story of what Christ has done. I love when you share how God is working. May we continue to stir up one another. So you're called, we are called for a purpose. We're called to be set apart. And if you're someone who's here who is an ain't, you have an opportunity to come this morning to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't mess around. Don't wait another day. Even if you're watching online, now or in the future, repent and come to know Christ. He is here waiting for you. But lest the accent be on like what we're going to go do and what we have done, Paul, even in the first two verses, points us back to what Christ has done. And you look at verse two, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given grace and peace. Grace, God's unmerited favor. We did not deserve his mercy and he has given us his mercy in Christ Jesus. And we've been given peace. The greatest peace we've been given is peace with God. We are no longer at enemies of God, but we are friends of God because of what Christ has done. And that's the source of peace, the peace that we long for. When you long for peace, go to the reality that the greatest conflict that you had in your life no longer exists. Because you're a friend of the one who's the friend of sinners. His name is Jesus. And Paul, as he shares this, he doesn't just share it as a statement. He shares it as a prayer. And may we have this prayer for one another. As I've prayed this for you, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God your Father, the one who we call Father because he has intimacy with us. And we call him the Lord Jesus Christ because he wasn't just a sacrificial lamb. He is the one through whom the world exists. He's upholding the universe by the word of his power. He's the one who is interceding for us. It's not just the name. We have to understand the magnitude of the things. So grace and peace. Friends, let's let that resonate with us. Oh, I pray grace and peace. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the church Paul wrote to in this letter was birthed in the midst of opposition was birthed in the midst of opposition. They lived in a time of opposition. We may not live in a massive population center, but we do live in a place where there are unconverted people who are giving themselves to all modes of ungodliness and unrighteousness. And their experience of us isn't to be one where we judge them or we just try to beat them over the head with the Bible. No, they're blind. The thing they need is they need the aroma of Christ because they can't see. So they need to smell it. They need to smell it on you. And the way that they're going to smell it is not because you've mustered something up. 
but because you've abide, because you abide in Christ, because you spend time with him. Like Moses spending time with God on Mount Sinai and he comes off and he has a glow. Why does he have that glow? Not something he generated in him. It was reflected because he was in the presence of God. And that's what happens to you. You don't, you don't realize it because you're so enamored with being with Jesus, but the people around you realize it. You know, I could name names. Folks here in our church are just like, yeah, whenever I'm with them, I just feel like I learn more about Jesus and I understand what peace looks like because they display it to me. It's because their Bible's worn and tattered. And so their lives are not. So, there's need, friends. The population is growing eight times faster than the starting of new churches in our land. Existing churches are closing at a rate of 3,500 a year. Less than 18% of Americans are attending church on the weekend. There's opportunity. Though there's celebration of evil, we have the message of the gospel both to proclaim and to live, to delight in and to deliver. Because these Christians that Paul is writing to, and he's writing to strengthen them because he wants them to be strengthened. They were turning the world upside down because they were vehicles of God's grace. They came in weakness and saw God's power working. And it's my prayer that God would say that about the saints who attend our faith family. And I'm not just stopping there. I'm praying that God says that about the saints in other local churches in whom we might have fellowship with and know. Let's pray. God, use us. May it be said of us that we are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that was just two verses. We are just getting started. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, we need you. We need you to have a glimpse and to get an understanding of the depth of what Christ has done. And we need you to have an impact on the Ephesus around us. Saints, before we sing, you've got those little journals there. You've got the truth of God's word. Let's just take a moment and, and ask God, God, what are you asking of me? What are you asking of me personally? Maybe it's something to press into the Lord, a commitment of, of growing or could be a confession of sin. Or secondly, Lord, what are you asking of me? Write down the name of someone that you know who doesn't know Christ. Let it be right there at the beginning of your notebook. And... As we go through this book, as you open up the book each week as we're in the truth of God's word, pray 
for that individual. Pray for that individual. Even if there's someone who looks more like Saul than they do Paul. And let's commit to not only praying, but saying, Lord, use me. I'm small and weak. Use me to share Christ. Use me to share my testimony with that person. So just take a few moments. We're just going to be quiet. We're not rushing along. So not formulaic. No one's going to look in your book. We're not going to check it off as you walk out. This is between you and the Lord. But I think the Lord is stirring in us, stirring us as a church. He wants to teach us some things out of this word, uh, but he wants us to be obedient, to take steps of faith. So just take a moment and write that down. As Father, as we are writing that down, Father, I want to thank you that you have set us apart. You set us apart not because of something in us, not because we're uniquely special. In fact, we, we have lots of problems and struggles. But you set us apart because of your great mercy and you've called us saints. And I pray, Father, that we would, we would understand the depths of that and it would trickle into everything that we do. We would stir one another up to grow. We would help, help one another to obey what Jesus commanded. And Lord, that we would go and we would minister to those who don't know Christ, those who are lost and hurting. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't we stand and respond as we begin this. Let's, let's sing a very familiar song that celebrates God's grace.